Well, we're continuing a little short series this morning. If you're visiting with us, we usually kind of work through books of the Bible, but we're doing a very short topical series on the subject of discipleship. So what I want you to to imagine as we start, I want you to imagine that you've got four sponges, like big sponges that you would wash a car with. And these sponges are soaking in four buckets, all right? You got a, a bucket of beer, you got a bucket of water, you got a bucket of Dr. Pepper, uh, and you got a bucket of Mellow Yellow. All right, and they're, they're all soaking in these different buckets. When you pick up the first sponge and squeeze it, what's going to come out? You don't even remember what's in the first bucket? Beer. Beer was in the first bucket. All right, beer is going to come out. When you pick up the second sponge that's been soaking in, I don't even remember, that's been soaking in water, and you squeeze it, Water's going to come out. When you, you pick up the one that's been soaking in Dr. Pepper, squeeze it, Dr. Pepper's going to come out, etc. In every case, what comes out of the sponge is determined by what's inside the sponge and, and really what that sponge has been soaking in. Now, where am I going with this? In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The, the water or the beer or the Dr. Pepper or the Mel Yellow, they, they come out of that sponge because that's what's in the sponge. Uh, the words that come out of us come out of us because really they're what's in us. They're what's in our hearts. The words I speak are a reflection of the realities of my heart. And so angry words reveal an angry heart. Joyful words reveal a joyful heart. Words about the goodness of Jesus and the gospel reveal a heart that's been soaking in the goodness of Jesus and the gospel. Now, why do I bring that up and what does it have to do with discipleship? Uh, We've got a strategic planning team here at Grace kind of working through where we're going as a church. And we've been working through this book called The Vine Project. And as we've worked through this, one of the things it's said about discipleship, and we talked about this last week, is that disciples are made as people, like you and I, as people proclaim the word of God to other people. And that God works through that over time to, to, to build and to make, to make and to build disciples. And this week as our team was, was reading that, this book again, they were really trying to hammer home that it's people who proclaim the word of God to other people. People proclaim the word of God to other people. Disciples are made as you and I speak the word of God into other people's lives. Now, sometimes that looks like reading scripture. Sometimes that looks like quoting scripture. Sometimes that looks like paraphrasing scripture. Sometimes that looks simply like speaking words that have been shaped by the scriptures. But we make disciples as we proclaim the the contents of the Word of God. Uh, We do that in the car with our kids when we're taking them to school in the morning. You do that after church today when you eat lunch and maybe you talk about this text again that we're going to read. You might do that tonight in community groups. You might do that as you share with with a neighbor, as you get together with a friend over coffee. We make disciples... By speaking the word of God into one another's lives. And yes, uh, part of this is, is our actions as well. We make disciples through the way we live. But we're, we're trying to emphasize this point today 
of the proclamation of the Word of God. So that's what we're supposed to be about. If you're a believer, that's kind of what we're supposed to be about. Speaking the Word of God into one another's lives. And that's how disciples are made. But listen to this quote from the the book our team has been reading. The authors say this, It's fair to say that the majority of people in our churches don't see it as a normal part of their Christian lives to be prayerfully speaking the Word to someone else for their growth. That we we don't see this speaking the Word of God to one another as as a normal part of the Christian life. Now why is that? If that's true, why is that? Why don't we see that as normal? Some of that relates to lack of confidence or feeling inadequate, and that shows a, a, a need for us to be equipped to do this better. But another part of the problem, I think, just lies in our hearts. The authors put it this way, our hearts are not sufficiently fired by the wonders of God's mercies and the majesty of Jesus. In other words, I think what they're saying is, if, if, our, if our hearts were sufficiently gripped by what Jesus has done for us. If, if, we were, if we were soaking in the message of the gospel, then when you squeezed us, when you squeezed our hearts, so to speak, this message of the gospel would flow out of us. And so what I want to do this morning is not so much give you anything to do, but I want to give you some key truths to soak your heart in. Um, with the prayer being that as we soak in these truths, our hearts will be changed. And as our hearts are changed, our words will be changed. The words that we speak to one another will be changed. And so we're going to use this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians to try to get at this. Uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Uh, If you'll follow along with me as I read, you can see it printed, our text printed in your bulletin. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would use uh, the proclamation of your word now and that you would use it to make disciples and that you would use uh, use it to help us to see your love for us uh, and that we would be changed as we see that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to give you basically uh, three truths to soak your heart in this morning. Number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is in Jesus. Number two, you're loved by Jesus. And number three, you find fullness in relationship with God. You will find fullness in relationship with God. So let's talk about this first one. My identity is in Jesus. Look at verse 16 again and what Paul prays. 
that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, let's think about that. Paul is praying that God the Father, out of His riches, will empower His people through His Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. All right, that, what, what does that mean? Uh, here's how Brian Chapel explains it. The Father wills for the Spirit to be the instrument by which Christ takes over our hearts and provides our identity. So think about it this way. Let's say that your heart is a, is a big battlefield. And at conversion, Jesus lays claim to your heart. He lays claim to the battlefield. He, he stakes his flag into the soil of your heart. You're his. But there are a lot of other things that had been laying claim to your heart before Jesus came along, right? And those things haven't just like disappeared and gone off to another country. They're still hanging out. They're still competing for your affections. They still try to draw you away from your love for Jesus. They still try to get us to define ourselves by them and not by who we are in Christ. They want us to grab hold of the flags that that they try to implant instead of grabbing hold of the Jesus flag and defining ourselves that way. Uh, Here's how Lecrae put it in his song, Identity. And I'm I'm not going to rap it. I may get Will to come rap it, but here, here you go. Hair, check. Shoes, check. A brand new fit looking cool, check. I'm looking in the mirror like, ooh, yes, to cover for an insecure dude, check. But she won't feel me and they won't like me if I ain't in them J's or them brand new Nikes. Let's dig deeper inside my psyche. When, when it's all said and done, even I don't like me. Um, we define ourselves, we, we cover ourselves, we, we find ourselves worth in shoes and clothes and phones and cars and, and what our major is and, and where we live and how successful we are. We know there's something wrong with us, and so we try to, to cover ourselves and find our identity in these things. Uh, Lecrae goes on, he said, he's a Christian, he gave his life, but he still ain't satisfied in the Savior Christ. Still finds his identity and looks in cars, if he only knew that he ain't have to look so hard. If he looked in God, it may seem odd, but he'd be so satisfied he can leave it all. I'm not the shoes I wear. I'm not the clothes I buy. I'm not the house I live in. I'm not the car I drive. No, I'm not the job I work. You can't define my worth by nothing on God's green earth. My identity is found in Christ. Is found in Christ. And, you know, that's not just a battle for our teenagers. That's not just a battle for young people. That's a battle for all of us. And that's not just a battle before we are converted that's a battle still at times after we are converted we put our faith in our cars and our homes and our abilities instead of putting our faith in Jesus so that so that these are the things that dwell in our hearts by faith and when when those are the things that dwell in our hearts those are the things that control us they don't really free us they control us uh, our family is watching the movie The Prestige, which somehow I have missed for 10 years, which you really should watch. But it's about two magicians, and my wife would disagree with that, but 
she's being quiet for the rest of the morning. Um, it's about it's about two magicians, and 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 basically they're in this fight with each other. They hate each other, and they both want to be the best magician in the world. And it becomes their obsession. It becomes their life. It's where they try to plant their flag. It's what their identity is, and it's all about beating the other guy, and it's all about being the best. And that's what dwells in their heart. And that's what rules their hearts and rules their life. And Paul knows that that we all, even as believers, we tend to run back to these things. So he prays that we would be strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. So that we would know and live out of the fact that I'm bought by Christ and redeemed by Christ and a child of the Father by faith in Christ, and forgiven because of the blood of Christ, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and sanctified by Christ, and in union with Christ. So that we would know if if I'm in Christ, that I'm not defined by my successes or my failures. I'm, I'm not the clothes I wear. I'm not the good things I've done. I'm not the bad things that I've done. I'm Christ. Uh, St. Patrick's prayed it this way. Christ be with me and within me. Christ behind me and before me. Christ beneath me and above me. May your salvation, Lord, be always ours this day and forevermore. And what would it begin to do to my speech? To my words to other people if my identity was found in Christ? If, if my identity is found in Christ, then I don't have to respond to your words with angry words because your words don't threaten who I fundamentally am. If I, my identity is found in Christ, then I'm free to speak to you truthfully and lovingly because I don't have to worry as much. My identity won't be tied up in what you think of me because of what I say. I don't have to be ashamed. I won't be ashamed of speaking his word if my identity is found in Christ. And not what you think about who I am. Uh, Paul is praying that we would learn to find our identity in Christ. This is who you are fundamentally as a believer. You belong to Jesus. Secondly, he prays that we would experience the love of Christ. Look at verse 17. Middle of the verse. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, whenever I read this passage, I always think of this kid's book we used to read to our children when they were younger. Um, It's called Guess How Much I Love You. And in this book, there's this little rabbit and he goes up to his dad and he says, Guess how much I love you. And he says, I love you as wide as I can reach. And the dad says, I love you as wide as I can reach. And the rabbit says, well, I love you as high as I can reach. And the dad says, well, I love you as high as I can reach. And the little rabbit says, well, I I love you as high as I can hop. And the dad says, and I'm not going to hop. The dad says, I love you as high as I can hop. And then the little rabbit says, I love you to the moon. And the dad says, that's a long way. I love you to the moon and back. I love you to the moon and back. Whatever love we have in our hearts for Christ... Christ's love for us is greater. Christ's love for us is greater. 
Uh, Philip Yancey tells a story, and I don't think it's a true story. I think it's just meant to be a parable along the lines of the prodigal son. But he tells a story of a young girl who grew up in a, in a very conservative family. Her parents probably overreacted to some of the things she was wearing and some of the music she was listening to. And so she gets grounded. She has an argument with her father, and then she screams at him, I hate you. And she runs away. She winds up in Detroit and she meets a man driving a big fancy car who takes her in and buys her lunch and gives her a place to stay and gives her some pills that make her feel good. And she's having fun and she's convinced that her parents have been keeping the good life from her all this time. Eventually he puts her up in a penthouse and teaches her to do some things that that men enjoy. And she she becomes like a slave there. Eventually she gets sick. Uh, she catches a disease. He kicks her out. She winds up living on the street, now addicted to drugs and alone. And she finally hits rock bottom, and she calls her dad, and she leaves a message on his voice message and says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, I guess I'll stay on the bus until it gets to Canada. And she takes a seven-hour trip home, and the bus pulls up, and the bus driver says, we got 15 minutes, so we're going to pull out and go on to the next stop. And so she gets out, and she walks into the terminal. And in the terminal stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and her mom and dad and cousins and just this assortment of family members, and they're wearing goofy party hats and, and blowing little noisemakers. And there's a big banner up on the wall that says, Welcome Home. And her dad starts walking toward her, and she gets her speech ready. She starts to say, you know, Dad, I'm sorry. And he says, hush, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's awaiting you at home. That's just a, a beautiful picture of the way God welcomes us and loves us when we return to him he doesn't say get out of here i'm so mad at you for messing up he welcomes us and embraces us and rejoices over us and the second thing i think you see in this is that the place we experience the love of god is in community with his people Uh, in the story she experiences the love of god with her family in the bus station. In our text, Paul prays that you may have strength to comprehend God's love with all the saints. The church, the body of Christ, the family of God, is where we tangibly experience God's love. Can you imagine how different your and my life would be um, if these things were true of us? If more and more we found our identity in Christ, if more and more we were able to grasp how much God loves us, you know, we we think, man, I've just got to buckle down. I've just got to be more disciplined. I've just got to have better habits. I've just got to find accountability partners. And all those things are good and all those things are important. But the real issue is that our love for Christ isn't very great. And the reason I think our love for Christ isn't very great is because we have not been amazed by how much he loves us. Uh, There's a pastor who tells a story. He was preaching a sermon on our need to battle sin and uh, to have accountability and that sort of thing and be more disciplined in it. And an old man came up to him after the 
sermon, he said, I work with young men who travel on business. They are bombarded with sexual temptation of all sorts, and they think that simply by sheer grit and willpower they will be able to resist. I have to tell them that they must pray to God, to pray that God will change the nature of their hearts or they won't be able to resist. People do precisely what they love, and until they have a greater love for the things of God than the things of this world, they will not be able to stop. Do you you see why what Paul is praying for us is so important here? He's praying that we would know who we are in Christ. And he's praying that we would know how much Christ loves us. Because the only way we're going to grow in our love for Christ and our obedience to Christ is if we we really sense how much He loves us. And that's the only way we're actually going to start to love other people as well. And if that happens, if my heart is transformed by the love of Christ, if I begin to soak in that, then when you squeeze me, what's going to come out? love of Christ. The love of Christ is what's going to come out. The love of Christ will show up in the words I speak to God. The love of Christ will show up in the words that I speak to other people. The last thing, Paul prays here that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, And that's basically what the text says, so I'm not going to read it again. That we will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, um, I read a bunch of commentaries on this going, like, what, what in the world does that mean? And then I listened to a sermon by Les Newsom, who's a former RUF guy. And, and here's the way he took it. Paul is praying that we will be filled up to the degree that God is a full being. Paul is praying that we will be filled up to the degree that God is a full being. So let me ask you something. Do you ever feel empty? Does your, does your life ever just feel pointless? Does nothing seem to bring you satisfaction? Does nothing seem to bring you joy? Think about what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died. In, in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, this is what Jesus prays to the Father, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And it's like he's saying, Father, I want you to take this people who are dying of emptiness, who are laying in a fetal position and don't want to get out of bed in the morning, and I want you to bring them into the eternal, never-ending fullness and never-ending love that you and I and the Holy Spirit have experienced for all eternity. Paul is praying, and, and Jesus is praying, that you and I would be brought into the dance of God, as it were, into the dance of His love, into this relationship that is of love that has existed within the triune God for all eternity. Because that's what we're made for. That's what we're made to know. That's the connection we're made to have. Uh, many years ago, there was an experiment in which a scientist took a rat and he put it in a cage by itself. And he put two little droppers of water there. And one of them had drugs in it, something like morphine or something, and the other one had was just water. And almost every time you run the experiment, the rat would get hooked on the drug water and would keep coming back. It would get addicted over and over and over again. It would keep coming back. 
until it kills itself. It would always get hooked on the drug water, rat by itself. So then somebody else took, they made basically kind of a rat Disneyland, kind of this cool little rat play area, and they put a bunch of rats in it. So that they had, they, had, they had little friends, and they ran around, and they did rat stuff together with us in this little, whatever they do. All right? And they, they also put the clean water and the drug water within this. And only a quarter, well, they, they consumed a quarter of amount of the drugs that the rat by itself did. Like, the, the rats were, were generally happy. They tried the drug water, but they didn't really like it. They didn't sense any need for it. And none of them died. They all, they all survived. And this is what one of the professors who was involved with this experiment concluded. Professor Peter Cohen. Uh, he argued that, that human beings have this deep need to bond in the form connections. Because they kind of took the rat stuff and they looked at what happened in humans. And he says human beings have a deep need to bond in form connections. It's how we get our satisfaction. He said, if we, if we can't connect with each other, we'll connect with something else. Whether it's a hypodermic needle or a roulette wheel or whatever it is. And he argues that we should stop talking about addiction and instead start talking about bonding. And he says a, a heroin addict bonds with heroin because there's no one else to bond with. And so he says the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's actually human connection. Now that's interesting, and I wouldn't say that that's gospel or anything like that. I wouldn't want to deny a chemical component in addiction. But, but what if what we're really missing in our lives, what if the thing underlying often our, our Christian phoniness, what if the thing often underlying our own addictions is a lack of connection? A lack of connection to other people. And a lack of connection to God. And, and what if instead of trying so hard to do the Christian thing of getting my act together, or trying to figure out what his will for my life is, or trying to make or trying to get him to make my life better, what if I just concentrated on getting to know him? What if I just concentrated on getting to know how much he loves me? Wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that even change the words that I speak if I had that connection with God? Wouldn't my words be changed if, no, if, if I was no longer mad at you for not giving, giving me what I need because I'm finding fullness in God? Wouldn't my words be different if I wasn't trying to manipulate you with them to get you to do what I want because I have what I need already in God? Wouldn't good words about God overflow if I was filled with the fullness of God? This sense of identity, this sense of God's love, this sense of the fullness of God, that all flows from having a, a connection with God. So let me, let me suggest a couple things to you. Obviously, we, we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But then God gives us these means to, to deepen our relationship with Him. And one of those means is the other people in this room. Like You, you need connections with the other people in this room. One, because we, we're just made for connections with other people. But, but also because other people can lead us deeper into our relationship with God. We're not called to just try to figure this Christian, Christianity thing out by ourselves. Secondly... 
We need to, to meditate on this book. We need, to, we need to soak in this. We need to soak in this. Uh, the Word and prayer is where we connect with God. You know, we don't always remember everything we've read that morning or whatever, but that's where we have those moments of connection and intimacy with God. Uh, we're getting ready to go on vacation in a couple of weeks, so uh, you can pray for me during that because one thing I struggle with at times on vacation, it can be easy for me to get off the rails spiritually because I get off out of a routine. Um, and I just like don't have those times in prayer and meditation on the Word. And so I lose my sense of identity and my sense of God's love for me and, and my sense of fullness that's to be found in knowing God. And, and maybe you have that struggle too. Uh, and maybe you feel like that right now even. Uh, Jesus still loves you. And Jesus still loves me in the midst of that funk. But he longs for us to know him better and to experience his love more and more and to find our identity more fully rooted in him and to experience the satisfaction and the fullness that comes through knowing him. So can we pray that for one another? That we would find those things, that identity and that love and that fullness in knowing God. Because I think if we'll pray that for one another, we'll start to experience those things. Those things will get into our hearts. And then when you squeeze our hearts, those good words about God, about the gospel, will naturally flow out. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray these things for us now. I pray that you'd help us to to come aside one another and encourage one another. I pray that you'd help us as we take up your word and we get distracted and we forget what we read. But but Father, help us in that. Use our times in scripture to reassure us of your love and to reassure us of of who we are and whose we are. To remind us that, that you're what we're looking for. So, Father, help us in this. And as we meditate on these truths, I pray that we meditate on these truths this week. Uh, and they, that these truths about you and your love for us would be helpful in changing our hearts. And that our, as our hearts are changed, our words will be changed so that we can proclaim your word and make disciples. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.